In the United States, there are roughly 18,000 new physician graduates who become doctors uh, every year. If on the day of graduation, every one of those 18,000 newly minted doctors simply made one edit to Wikipedia's health content, think how quickly we would make that information high quality and available to all. In the Cinemax series, The Nick, Clive Owen plays John Thackeray, a New York City surgeon in the early days of surgery, struggling to push the field into new areas using new technology and experimentation. His work is met with resistance at almost every turn, usually from experts in his own field who aim to keep the profession the way it had been for so many decades, slow to change and practiced only by an anointed few. In 2016, the medical field continues to move forward, either by initiatives from within or by pressure from the outside. Combination of both, probably. The tradition of the doctor as an authority figure does live on. We still go to them to ask about our health. And of course, nowadays, you go home and you Google it. You read WebMD, Wikipedia, maybe you go to the Mayo Clinic site and you make your own often inaccurate conclusions. Meanwhile, in a university classroom right now, somewhere, thousands of new doctors are being trained to practice medicine in this new reality. Now, which world are they learning for? Is there some way that these two can be combined to get the best of both worlds, well-trained doctors and a well-informed public? Now, Wikipedia could play a role in all this, as could a new movement of wiki journals that carry on the tradition of high standards and peer review, but discard the tired habit of only being accessible to a few out there. Today on the podcast, we're diving into medicine, health, and Wikipedia as a tool for education and publishing. They're changing the world of medicine, not just for tomorrow, but for today, right now. With help today from key people in the trenches across the globe, I'm talking about Andrew Lee, Dr. Amin Azam, Dr. Michael Hagstrom. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark Fonseca Renderu, and this is Source Code Berlin. Welcome back to Source Code Berlin, the program that looks at open source, open culture, and wiki initiatives from Berlin to the world and back again. The issue today is medical education and medical publishing, both of which are changing in interesting ways that could have a profound impact on anyone out there, doctor or not. Now, later in the program, we will hear from the editor-in-chief of the Wikiversity Journal of Medicine, Michael Hagstrom, as well as leading educator making use of Wikipedia in the field of medicine, Amin Azam. But for now, we start today's program by hearing from Andrew Lee, who is not a medical doctor, but is a new media researcher and professor of journalism at the American University School of Communication in Washington, D.C. He's the author of the 2009 book, The Wikipedia Revolution, How a Bunch of Nobodies Created the World's Greatest Encyclopedia. He's also probably the earliest teacher to make use of Wikipedia as a tool in the classroom. 
His reasons for doing it and experiences that followed have had a profound impact that would eventually hit the field of medical education. Now, this is an excerpt from an interview recorded earlier this year with Shani Evanstein of Tel Aviv University as part of her course, Wikipedia, Skills for Producing and Consuming Knowledge. Yeah, so yes. my name is Andrew Lee. I'm also known as user Fuzz Hedo on English Wikipedia. And I've been editing Wikipedia since 2003. So I'm one of the older folks on Wikipedia. Uh, I've also the odd distinction of having been to every Wikimania conference ever since 2005. Uh, so I definitely am quite ensconced in the community by now. I've also written a book about Wikipedia called The Wikipedia Revolution, How a Bunch of Nobodies Created the World's Greatest Encyclopedia. And I'm quite happy to hear that no Wikipedian has ever said to me they're offended by being called a nobody. I think we kind of take pride in the fact that we are kind of all nobodies, but we've created something amazing out of uh, nothing. So I've been using Wikipedia in the classroom ever since I discovered Wikipedia in 2003 when I was teaching at the University of Hong Kong. And a few months after I first saw Wikipedia and said, you know, this shouldn't be good, but it is quite good, I decided to use it as an experiment in one assignment for my class with 80 students uh, in journalism and communications. And I decided to put them onto Wikipedia to edit articles about something they were knowledgeable about, which is Hong Kong history and landmarks. And, you know, can you imagine back in 2003, Wikipedia being very, fairly small and fairly unknown to the rest of the internet that you had 80 students hop on there overnight and suddenly the activity was was very noticeable from 80 new people uh so the community is very kind back then and accepted the students fairly uh fairly well even though they were making mistakes and there were copyright violations and all kinds of things going wrong but it was a much nicer environment back then uh compared to today and it's understandable it wasn't as popular as it was uh, as it is now. So there's was less risk in having incorrect or erroneous information back then. And today at American University in Washington, D.C., I have a class every year called Wikipedia and Public Knowledge, where we explore Wikipedia as this blending between the historical record and the news cycle. And so if you imagine the world that we had before Wikipedia, we had the news media cover something, uh, in newspapers and television and radio. And then if it doesn't have a long, uh, you know, drawn out story, it kind of falls off the radar screen very quickly. And then maybe weeks or months or years later, it gets written up in an encyclopedia or a book or a documentary is made about it. But there's actually this big, long lull, this gap of knowledge between when it shows up in a newspaper and radio and television, and when it actually makes it to the historical record. And for me, the, my favorite example of this knowledge gap being a problem is something like Watergate. So I grew up in this era where Watergate was just breaking, but slowly, right? It started off as a, what they call a two-bit robbery at the Watergate Hotel. It started to unravel more and more till you found out that there was CIA involved with this, that the White House officials were involved with this, that people quit over the investigation, and it finally made it all the way up to the White House as being complicit in this whole thing. But this story lasted a long time, over years, and it had a slow burn. And if you kind of came out of the woods, you know, halfway into the story after a, a year of, 
of camping, you would not be able to make sense of the story. You'd have to go back and read all the old newspaper clippings and everything. So I'm very envious of this generation now that we have where Wikipedia now fills this knowledge gap because it is this continuously edited collaborative writing of history that is ever present and ever growing. Right. Um, so this is something that I like to explore more with my students to understand how Wikipedia is reacting to and documenting things in real time. And that there is no such thing as the historical record that's written down the, the path later on. In fact, Wikipedia is serving this role both as covering the news and live writing history at the same time. Among the food for thought that Andrew puts out there is not only the well-known benefits of being able to record history and curate information in real time using Wikipedia, but also the opportunity to combine experts in a field with content generated by, well, anyone. Uh, another thing I would recommend looking into as well is seeing what kind of ways you can engage content experts or knowledge domain experts in improving Wikipedia content. So one exercise that we did recently was not to necessarily edit an article in Wikipedia, but to draw on the expertise of an expert to critique Wikipedia article. So one editathon, we actually had the world's expert on this particular statue called the Greek slave. So this is at the American Art Museum, and we had the curator Karen Lemony there. And we said, you know, we only have an hour in this editathon. I'm not sure we could teach her about all the Wikipedia policies and what's reliable sourcing and how to deconstruct an article. But we said, let's get what we can of her critiquing the Wikipedia article. And we told her this beforehand, saying, if you could take a look at the Wikipedia article, we'd like to have you do a 10 or 15 minute critique of the article. So at the editathon, we turned on a video camera and we had her show on the big screen on the projector you know, her analysis of the Wikipedia article saying, you know, oh, the first sentence is wrong. You don't do this with a statue. So we were kind of nervous saying, oh my gosh, the first sentence is not even correct. This article, and we have this world's <laughs> expert looking at Wikipedia and saying, oh, this is bad. Uh, so she told us exactly how to write it. And she said, you know, even in art history, not a lot of people know about how statues are made. So if I were you, here's how I would write it. I would say the cast or the, the model was first made in clay. And then it was copied over to a plaster cast, and then it was cast in bronze, and it was copies were made. So there is no original statue. There's actually a model, and then there are copies made off that model. So that was great. That's exactly what should be in that first sentence in the Wikipedia article. And we actually have a recorded 10, 15 minutes on video as a memorial of this critique. And then we uploaded that video to Commons, and it's actually now on the talk page of the article called The Greek Slave. And even though we couldn't do all the edits she suggested one hour, we actually had people come in after the edit-a-thon was over to watch the video and then correct the article based on those recommendations. In fact, the article reads a lot better today than that day based on her critique. Now, the funny thing about this is that you think that after that critique where she said, okay, the first sentence is wrong, she would follow up that critique by saying, and here's why no one should use Wikipedia and why it's terrible. But in fact, she actually was a big fan of Wikipedia. And the reason why is because as the top scholar on this statue and the artist Hiram Powers, she found out about a cache of letters that Hiram Powers had wrote that she didn't even know about. And the reason why she found out about this was because of Wikipedia, which had a pointer or a link to the University of Vermont's Center for Digital Initiatives Library uh, collection. And she would not have known about that cache of letters if it wasn't for Wikipedia. 
So the funny thing is, you know, on one hand, she said there's problems with the basic article. But on the other hand, she said Wikipedia proved so useful as being this academic hub where people come together and libraries link out of it and academics go there to read it. And, you know, people upload images and people add to it. And this is what we kind of call the piranha effect. At least that's what the French Wikipedians call it, is that, you know, you have, you have this hub of activity that winds up being better than any one entity out there. And I think that really shows the power of Wikipedia, that even the critics who can give you feedback to improve it, you know, find really great ways that it has served them in their study and in their field. It is here that we can jump with the concept that Andrew gave us, the potential of incorporating experts to improve the information that is out there, and we can take that into the field of medicine. Now, here we have doctors who indeed have the knowledge and experience they could improve the information available, but we also have students, and they're researching, they're studying their way towards that position. And in their studies, they're becoming experts, the very people who could add to or improve the body of information that exists and is so widely used by the public. Think about all the times, all the people that look at Wikipedia every day for medical information. So how to combine medical students and Wikipedia? There's one person who's great to ask and is here today on the program. Uh, my name is Amin Azam, and I am a passionate medical educator at the University of California, Berkeley, and the University of California, San Francisco. I, I always love to start by giving credit to one of my students, a guy named Mike Turkin, um, uh, because the idea of using Wikipedia as, or improving Wikipedia as a medical school course assignment was absolutely his. Um, he and I were, as is often the case with uh, faculty and students, intermittently get together for opportunities for students, professional growth, or coffee dates, if you will. And um, I was of the uh, community of physician educators who, like many faculty at many universities, still poo-poo Wikipedia and say it's a horrible thing and students shouldn't use it. And Mike said to me, I mean, why are you fighting us? We all go to Wikipedia first because it's written in a way we can understand. Why don't you try to help us make it better instead? And I have to admit, that idea at first was actually quite radical to me and I didn't think was something that would make any kind of sense as a formal course assignment in medical school. But as I listened to Mike and he educated me about the Wiki Project Medicine community and some of the other initiatives that Wikipedia uh, larger sort of movement was engaged in, I realized very quickly that my role would be best if I actually created a course for medical students to improve the health content on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. So it's one of those aha moments where I think I was young enough to listen to my students, but also old enough to be able to operationalize the concept in a course. Uh, all of Wikipedia is is organized around projects, and these are just individuals who volunteer because they're passionate about those areas. So Wikiproject Medicine is a community of roughly 300 volunteers, some of whom are health professionals, many of whom are not, but they are all people dedicated to providing high-quality health information on Wikipedia. So the Wikiproject Medicine community takes the roughly 26,000 English-language Wikipedia articles, and they rank order them by importance. And what I think is really elegant about what they do there is that the ranking takes into account two separate factors. Factors. One is number of eyeballs reading those pages, and two is global burden of disease. So I always use the example that dengue fever is important, even though it's not endemic to the United States uh, uh, health problems, but so too is sexuality, because everybody reads about sexuality on Wikipedia. So when you take that important scale, you can divide it up into top, middle, low importance articles. Um, 
And all of Wikipedia articles are also graded for quality. So most people don't realize that you can easily see the quality of a Wikipedia article simply by clicking at the very top of the article on the tab that says talk. And so you have the article tab, which describes all the content everybody reads. And then the talk page is where people, like the Wiki Project community, talk about the content and uh, wrestle and argue about how and what needs improvement. So uh, so on the talk page, you'll see that uh, all articles start as a sub-quality article. And then as people add more sentences, they become start quality, C quality, B quality. It moves up the ladder as, as the article is fleshed out further. So if you think about combining the Wiki Project Medicine importance scale with the Wikipedia quality grade scale, you have a wonderful array of those 26,000 articles distributed by the top and low quality articles. So when I have my students work on articles, I tell them, it doesn't really matter what you choose. I want you to pick something you're passionate about. But if you want to make a bigger difference in the world, if I were you, I'd pick the top importance, low quality articles because you have a chance to really make a big difference. So at this point, the concept is clear. The reasons for it have also been put forward by both Azam and Andrew. But let's look at the guts of this, right? How does it work? How does using Wikipedia as a student in Dr. Azam's class, how does that function? So our course at UCSF is what I'll call an immersion course. That is to say that the students are doing nothing but this course. It's their full-time job. And uh, most fourth-year medical student courses in the United States are month-long courses instead of uh, semester-long. So the way we've structured our course is our students are enrolled full-time to do nothing but edit Wikipedia for 30 days. Now, there are other models out there in ways that you can have Wikipedia editing as a course assignment. It could be a portion of a semester-long grade. The course could be uh, alongside several other courses the students are taking. So there's nothing particularly magical about the way we've structured our course. I've just built it around the infrastructure of U.S. medical schools. Uh, But I do think it's important to acknowledge that Students can accomplish a lot more when it's more of their time. And so that is why we designed our course the way we did. Um, It also allows for a lot of travel flexibility. My students can be editing Wikipedia on the plane when they're traveling to go interview to become docs at some other hospital. And so that is another uh, advantage of the work. The way we structure the course is that the first two days of the course are what I call full-time immersion, face-to-face, synchronous learning, so that the students and I are together thinking about how they're going to be contributing, what they're going to be doing, which articles they're going to be working on, completing the videos that the Wiki Education Foundation has designed for them to understand their roles as student contributors, etc., etc., etc. So that, uh, that stuff, I think, it's almost like a Sorry to use a medical metaphor here, but it's a bolus of, of uh, IV fluids It's a, a, to make sure that they are hit the ground running once they're ready to work the rest of the month. I've learned through the years that it's important to have some touch points with the students, almost like weekly office hours. So that way, if they have questions, they can both ask me, but then also come together as a group to learn from each other about the experiences they're having as they go. And then I also think it's extremely important to have have an end of the course uh, coming together to lessons learned, best practices, and I get feedback from the students about how to improve the course for the students that will come behind them. Easily, this is the biggest thing my students are doing in their early health professional careers. Um, For example, a student might work on a peer-reviewed closed access journal article, and they might work enough on it to get their name as one of the named co-authors. But those articles may be read by... Uh, hundreds of people, maybe at most thousands. Um, but if that same student instead works on a Wikipedia article, that that gets viewed uh, orders of magnitude more than those closed peer-reviewed journal articles. As a concrete example, 
this last time I had the course, I had seven students who worked as a team on editing the hepatitis page. And that hepatitis page, during the 30 days my students were actively improving it, uh, was viewed 165,000 times. So I don't think it's possible for seven doctors to see 165,000 patients in 30 days. So it's just an example of what a huge impact the students are potentially doing even before they become physicians. So far today, we've been talking mostly about Dr. Azem and his classes, but as you might have heard a few minutes ago, this is part of a much larger project, Wikiproject Medicine, which includes some interesting key partners who help amplify, enhance, and disseminate the work of his students and students all over the world. Uh, I am uh, one of the first faculty members in a medical school uh, if in the U.S., if not the world, to embrace Wikipedia editing, uh, but uh, university professors have been doing that for years ahead of us. We are relative latecomers to that that uh, community of collaboration in the healthcare space. And so the Wiki Education Foundation is a separate foundation from Wikipedia, but their sole mission is to partner with people like me, faculty members at universities who have seen the wisdom of embracing Wikipedia. So they create um, uh, mechanisms, dashboards, infrastructure for faculty to design course assignments or entire courses like mine around Wikipedia editing. So they have a number of videos that students can watch to understand about the rules of etiquette and Wikipedia editing. They have information information about plagiarism and what is and isn't plagiarism, information about uh, Creative Commons licensing and open access and how, how all of that fits together in the larger movements. So WikiEdu, or the Wiki Education Foundation, allows me to track my students' use and engagement of the assignment so I can see how far along my students are, who's been active, who hasn't, who's completed the trainings that I require from Wiki Education, etc., etc. So that's the role of WikiEdu. They also tra track the number of people who reading the articles that my students are touching or other faculty members' students are touching. The next partnership that I think is really exciting to share is a group called Translators Without Borders. So much like Doctors Without Borders, it's a community of volunteers that are dedicated to improving information uh, that people need or want to access about uh, their health. So Translators Without Borders partners with Wikiproject Medicine to take those articles articles on Wikipedia once they reach a minimum quality, which is the B quality threshold, and then translate them into other languages and other Wikipedias uh, or other Wikipedia languages. And so I like to point out that most of the internet is English. And so if you are an English speaker or an English reader, you're lucky because you have, have access to a lot of the internet that other parts of the world do not. However, the one part of the internet for which that's an exception is Wikipedia. Because anyone can contribute and ed everyone has the opportunity to improve the information, Wikipedia is the most multilingual part of the internet. Now, it doesn't actually represent the exact distribution of the world's languages spoken, but it's closer to that than any other part of the internet. So, Translators Without Borders is helping translate that high-quality health information on the English language Wikipedia to other Wikipedias. And then the last partnership I'm really excited about is uh, Wikipedia Zero. So, I think it's, it's estimated that roughly six out of seven people on the planet have access to cell phones. The problem in much of the developing world is that that access comes with data access charges that can be prohibitively expensive. But because Wikipedia is a free encyclopedia, cell phone carriers in the developing world partner with Wikipedia through Wikipedia's zero to provide access for free to Wikipedia without those access charges. And so at last count, when I last checked it, 
roughly 600 million people in 57 developing countries in the world through 83 cell phone carriers have access to Wikipedia for free. So when I encourage my students to do this work, I actually give them the audacious challenge of providing high quality health information to the world's population in the language of their preference in the way they already access the internet and for free. And when I tell that to my students, they are incredibly motivated to do large social good in the world, and, uh, and they do wonderful work. It sounds like good news all around. New initiatives, a new relationship between health professionals, students, the general public. You might say it's blue skies and rainbows for everyone. But wait a minute. We're talking about the medical industry, and it's surely involving doctors who might not want to get involved in Wikipedia or tear down some of these barriers between what they know and what the public knows. And what about the medical publishers, the journals written by and for other doctors, accessible only if you're at the big institutions that can afford the high price for access? There has to be some resistance out there in ways that perhaps I haven't even thought of. Now, if there's one project that knows about resistance, it's going to come from the medical publishing world. In 2014, the Wikiversity Journal of Medicine was born, an open access journal that incorporates wiki features and principles, combining them with proven mechanisms like peer review that traditional journals have valued for a very long time. Yeah, my name is Michael Hegström, and uh, I'm uh, from Sweden. And I currently, um, well, my main work is uh, as a doctor. Um, it's an internship in a town council called Sundsvall, which uh, is located in the middle of Sweden. But um, I'm mainly here today to speak about the project that uh, I've uh, been uh, participating in from the very start of it, which is uh, Wikiversity Journal of Medicine, and uh, which has, uh, well, developed to become a Wikiversity Journal of uh, various subjects. From the beginning, there was... Uh, almost only me actively working on it since uh, at the start in 2014. Um, but uh, there have been uh, many proposals and uh, ideas of how to make it by uh, various people. And uh, I've found uh, such proposals dating back to uh, 2009. So um, the idea has been there for a long time. The first uh, comprehensive description of it was... Uh, was the idea of uh, having a place where authors can write the works uh, directly online in the wiki, and then it, it can uh, become approved, and uh, it can later be restricted for further editing once uh, it is approved. There is um, basically no restriction about uh, what kind of credentials you have uh, to have in order to write an article, uh, but um, yeah, we do require all... Um, works to be uh, peer-reviewed by an expert in that subject. So if uh, the topic is a medical one, then the peer reviewer needs to have some credentials or some kind of proof that um, the person um, is an expert on that subject. 
To give you some context here, well beyond the medical field, there are academic and scientific journals where research has been published for many years. There are big names, uh, Elsevier, Springer, Wiley, all putting out these journals, and they charge, as I mentioned, a premium price for people to see the articles. Now, this includes a controversial move of charging people to read the results of research conducted with public funding. Over the past few years, an all-out rebellion has broken out with new open access journals appearing every day, and more importantly, researchers and even some institutions supporting efforts to publish and promote such journals. Now, for their part, the academic publishers have yet to find a viable solution where they can still afford to pay editors and staff to put out the journals, yet people can have access at low or even no cost. Some say they're reluctant to lose their stronghold or stranglehold on the industry, but others say open access advocates haven't fully thought out a future where professional editors and publishers go out of business. Once again, here's Michael Hagstrom. Traditional journals, they always have um, either the disadvantage uh, that um, Authors uh, need to pay a price if they want uh, the content to be open access. Uh, a study estimated that only about uh, 12% of uh, the journals uh, are open access. And even those that are open access, uh, about uh, 50% of uh, those, the authors need to pay a fee. But uh, for Wikiversity Journal of Medicine, we've been able to have an open access journal and uh, uh, the authors don't need to pay any fee to have their work published, and um, the readers don't need to pay anything either uh, to read the content. And uh, I think uh, a lot of um, effort and also cost is saved when authors can write the content directly online. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, authors too will appreciate that they're uh, uh, submissions will be more available to readers. Historically, uh, the whole uh, processing of journals uh, was uh, at a higher cost because um, traditionally they had to be printed and they had to be distributed. So I think uh, uh, if we can also reduce the work um, in actual publishing costs, then we can finally provide the service uh, without cost to authors or readers. Here we arrive at the Wiki Connection, where many worry about the cost of editing and publishing a research journal. The volunteers of Wikiversity Journal of Medicine, using the same tools as Wikipedia, take the costs out of the equation. But then comes our original question. What about the challenges of starting a new, open-access, Wiki-based journal in a field as complex as medicine? Well, the difference is that uh, this uh, in the Wikiversity Journal of Medicine, there is also um, an expert uh, peer review of every single work uh, before it becomes uh, officially included in the journal. Another important connection uh, with the other wiki project is just the fact that uh, it is built in um, the same kind of wiki uh, and under the same kind of uh, um, open licenses, which makes it very easy to uh, copy text and use it in uh, other projects. Well, mainly Wikipedia, but there are other Wikimedia projects as well where uh, the content can be used. 
Uh, in the beginning, it uh, was, um, I think, more difficult. In uh, previous uh, articles, um, we had to actively look uh, at uh, other articles in other journals and f find, uh, um, for example, authors who have made similar contributions uh, in similar topics and ask them to peer review. Um, now where there are actually people spontaneously coming to us and saying, for example, if you get an article in this subject, I can peer review it for you. So uh, I'm very happy to see that people now turn to us and say they can volunteer. I haven't uh, um, experienced much interaction yet with between this journal and, for example, the medical field. Uh, but uh, yes, there. There truly is a, a difference, in, at least in our aim, to accept contributions from uh, even uh, lay people because we look, uh, we look at the quality of uh, the article itself. Uh, but yeah, there, it may take some time before people start to uh, trust the content. And I think uh, that's similar for uh, all new journals. And uh, perhaps uh, people will always have some skepticism because it's... Uh, based on a wiki and they may uh, associate it with Wikipedia. But I think uh, with time, people will, uh, even um, uh, medical professionals um, uh, will uh, uh, respect uh, this information. One of the unique areas of specific contributions Michael has made over the years is in medical imagery. If you think about it, besides the actual written information one might find or improve in a Wikipedia page or writing in a medical journal, but what about the images that are often so essential when describing some aspect of our health? Who's drawing and then applying CC licenses to medical illustrations? Or what about those x-rays Michael might get his hands on at work? The problem is that, uh, that Wikipedia can pretty easily use uh, text from uh, external sources because you can basically summarize it in your own words and uh, use that external source as a reference. But uh, that is not very easy for images, especially uh, medical imaging such as uh, X-rays or uh, ultrasonographies where uh, you cannot easily try to reproduce a version of your own. And, um, and that has uh, contributed a lot to uh, a general shortage of uh, uh, images in Wikipedia uh, and I think especially in, in medicine in that way. But uh, that's also one of the major purposes of this journal. I think uh, professionals, they, are, they want uh, to uh, contribute to science by publishing their work. And they want uh, attribution for what they've done as well. They want uh, people to know that uh, I did this. And I think Wikipedia in itself does not... Uh, always uh, provide, uh, how would you say, attribution to uh, uh, the creators of the, uh, the work. But if they um, you know, contribute it to Wikiversity General of Medicine, um, it is uh, in a way that they are more familiar with. That is, uh, it's a kind of a academic publishing. And also, um, uh, one of the strengths of Wikiversity Journal of Medicine is that um, if the work gets integrated in Wikipedia, uh, it also generates a lot of views. For example, it's been estimated that uh, each image is, uh, each image uh, 
image that is uh, submitted to Wikiversity Journal of Medicine, if accepted, uh, will get over 50,000 views per month from Wikipedia readers. Uh, the copyright goes to the person actually took the image, but then it's, uh, of course, uh, you would also need to have uh, consent from uh, the patient as well that you're using the image. So um, uh, Wikiversity General Medicine has to demand that uh, uh, the patient also uh, uh, consent to the image being used. But uh, it's a uh, person who took the, the image that has a copyright. If I see something interesting, if it's an x-ray or another inter interesting medical finding, I still try to uh, share that information uh, with Wikipedia uh, with the consent of uh, the patients, of course. From the challenges of open access publishing in the medical field to the challenges of using Wikipedia as a teaching tool in the classroom, once again, here's Amin Azam on the challenges of his project. So some of the challenges up front were my own barriers for learning how to edit and contribute to Wikipedia or to create a Wikipedia page. All of those are fortunately behind us now that the Wiki Education Foundation is really partnering with faculty. One, one barrier I didn't see coming that I've now had to um, explicitly address with my students is the notion that students, whether they're medical students or any other kind, are used to buffing and polishing their work before they turn it into the faculty member. If you will, they want to show their best foot forward or their best effort. And so in the early days, my students were not editing Wikipedia live. They were, were, were editing in what we'll call a sandbox, where so they could make some changes and tweak it and make ver version changes to their own text before they hit save and it became a part of Wikipedia. And that is absolutely not the Wikipedia ethos. The, the, the mindset for Wikipedia editing is to be bold and to be forward-thinking in trying to improve the content. Because everything is iterative or uh, goes through cycles, um, those edits can be improved upon by the rest of the Wikipedia editing community. So, so my students had to learn to let go of this notion of perfectionism before I or anyone else were reading their content. And I hadn't anticipated that at all. I, of course, it makes sense in hindsight, but it was just something that I, I, needed to, I now need to be explicit with the students about how much better it is for them to be editing live. Another barrier that I've been experiencing is how traditional metrics for how faculty advance at their university do not take into account the this novel approach. So, for example, if I were to write a peer-reviewed closed access journal article about this work, then the committee that measures my academic performance could could accurately say, oh, Dr. Zam is doing good work because it got published in JAMA or the New England Journal of Medicine. However, the work that I'm doing is actually pushing innovation in a different direction, more towards open and less towards closed peer-reviewed journal articles. There's nothing wrong with that approach. It's just that this is a new metric or a new way for me to be pushing innovation as a medical educator. And my promotions committee doesn't really have a standardized mechanism to assess the impact I have in doing this work. So I think the universities have to grapple with novel metrics for measuring academic productivity, and we haven't yet standardized that. So in the 
education space, I'm delighted that there are some other medical schools that have begun emulating or what I call copycat improvements to our, our initiative. At UCSF, our School of Pharmacy has also begun having their students edit uh, medicines-related articles, um, and they're doing that as part of a required course in health policy. So we are beginning to see what I hope are the beginnings of a more broader movement in health professions education. In the actual delivery of healthcare space, I'm a psychiatrist by training, and so I work with patients uh, sometimes debating whether they should start a medication or whether they're interested in therapy for mental health concerns. And I used to tell my students, if, if a patient comes into my office and says, um, you know, there's this new drug for depression, what do you think about it? If I say to them, I don't know, let's Google it together, I used to say that doesn't engender any trust in me as a physician. But now I actually will say to the patient in my office, I don't know the latest about that drug, let's Google it together. And I'm going to turn the screen towards you, and we're going to talk through the the uh, the list of uh, hits, or if you will, we go through the search uh, results, and I show them why I like a particular page or why I think a different page is not coming from a reliable source. So what I'm trying to do is partner with my patients around educating them about how and where they get in information and how and where I get information just the same way as they do. It's just that I happen to be a physician um, querying the internet. Changes in the classroom, changes in scientific publishing, changes in the doctor's office, all connecting back to a set of values and a way of collecting information that started with Wikipedia. As my guests today have all concluded, the winds of change are blowing in this new direction, and while everyone may not be feeling it or experiencing it yet, the ideas are spreading and being built upon, and they will continue to grow. In the United States, there are roughly 18,000 new physician graduates who become doctors uh, every year. If on the day of graduation, every one of those 18,000 new, newly minted doctors simply made one edit to Wikipedia's health content, think how quickly we would make that information high quality and available to all. So nothing would make me happier than uh, all other health health professional students on the planet contributing to Wikipedia to make the world a healthier place faster. Dr. Amina Zam is a passionate medical educator at the University of California, Berkeley, and at the University of California, San Francisco. That does it for today's episode. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland production with audio today from Andrew Lee's talk, Wikipedia Skills for Producing and Consuming Knowledge, published under a CCBY license. There'll be a link in the show notes. We also had music by Jesse Spillane, Up, Paolo Pavan Pasquilano, Ubaldini, Return to Normal, and Ketza, all published under a CCBY license. This program is published under a CCBY SA 4.0 license and edited by me. Starting this Thursday, the 23rd of June, 2016, I'll be at Wikimania in Encino Lario in Italy. Maybe see you there. Or keep an eye out for new episodes recorded at Wikimania. And until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Renderu. Thanks for listening.
I actually have two microphones going right now. Which is it? This one or this one or this? Oh, who knows?